Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. This morning, I want to wish you a happy, long, extended Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I don't know what you have planned for today or tomorrow, but I hope it's wonderful. And I hope you enjoy it. Uh, we had a great day for uh, graduations yesterday, and so that was uh, a great thing. Um, so we can now celebrate kind of what is the beginning of summer, right? The, the Memorial Day weekend marks kind of the start of, of camping and barbecues and all those things. And so I hope that you can enjoy this weekend, uh, but maybe you'll be in a field planting something or something like that. But either way, I hope that it's a great one. Um, I want to just make a mention that because it is, this is Memorial Day weekend, that means June is already this next week, which is kind of crazy to me, but at the same time, awesome and exciting. Because in three Sundays, three Sundays will be powwow, as Bob mentioned. And that means that uh, we won't be having church here in three Sundays, but we'll be having it in the park with all the other churches. And that'll be a great celebration of God together with all our community. Um, But that also means, as Bob kind of alluded to and is in the bulletin, and I just wanted to make my little plug for, is that that will also mean that we're going to be spending our time Monday or Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday in the park as a church, having uh, uh, an area for kids and families to kind of come and and literally bounce around in. um, And and we're going to have bounce houses and some other kids' things. And so I wanted to give the plug to at least start thinking about how you could help to serve and and love our community at Pow Wow. Uh, For some of you guys, you might be assigned or or volunteer, and you might be be told that you're going to make buttons. And some of you are like, I have no idea how to make buttons. But I assure you that some people, like uh, Sue and some others, are well-skilled button makers now because of last year. So uh, come and make buttons uh, is my plug. But there's, uh, no, the, the heart of it is, and not to learn a new skill or to watch kids in and out of bounce house, but to love on our community, to care for them, to serve them. And that's what we hope to do. And so um, my call or my, my ask is if you call Community Bible your church home, um, I'd ask if you can give an hour or two on Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday uh, to just be there and help out and, and kind of encourage and love on kids and families. That would be awesome. And there's some sign-up sheets in the back, and you can start penciling in and, and it's a fun time. It's a good, fun weekend activity or week activity, and we uh, are excited about what God's going to do through that. Uh, this weekend is Memorial Day weekend for you. Tomorrow is Memorial Day, and for some of you, that holiday is important. Some not so much. Uh, but I wanted to just mention it and know that for some that have people on our minds, whether they're people who have served before or people who are are, are serving now, we want to be in prayer and, and thanking God for. Uh, those, but also be thanking and praying that, that he, God is working in the world um, and, and caring for those who are in tough situations. Uh, I make mention of that because I actually think that it's fitting that it's Memorial Day weekend because, because we know that when we think of, of armed forces or other people, we know that there's, there's conflicts, there's hardships, there's things going on around the world uh, that are difficult, are, are conflicting. Uh, there are nations that are at war with each other. 
And it doesn't take a whole lot for you to, or a lot of time for you to open up um, the your newspaper or your 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 TV, turn it on, or, or to look at Facebook and know that there's updates constantly of of different nations trying to flex their biceps, be it military or economically or whatever, that are trying to flex and show their muscle and power and might to one-up each other, to look bigger, better, badder than another nation. The reason I mention that is because I think Isaiah goes after something like that today. On a time where we're thinking about what might be happening overseas, conflicts, uh, be it in, in Asia or the Middle East, or even if the things that are unknown, things in Africa where we might have tribes and people groups attacking at each other, trying to be better than one another, we want to look this morning to Isaiah's book and say, see what he has to say about this all, what God sees in this. Isaiah, we know, is a prophet. We've talked about that. We're in chapter 13 this morning. We're going to start there. Uh, in chapter 13, and Isaiah is speaking continually for God's people, or to God's people, I should say, from God. He, he's speaking to them and, and wants to show his plan, his purposes, his desires. So this morning, this title of this message is God's Greatness Over All Nations. God's Greatness Over All Nations. And we're going to look at, start by reading chapter 13 in a moment, but really this this message covers uh, 11 chapters, chapters 13 through 23, and we'll talk about the structure in a little bit. Uh, but before we go and read chapter 13, let me just again, as we always do, just pray and thank God for his word as we get into what he has to say through Isaiah to us. Let's pray. Father God, we do praise you this morning that you have preserved this book for us to look at. And we trust that this word is your word, living, breathing, active in our lives. We put ourselves before it and ask that you can bring out the points that you've laid on my heart to speak, that they can connect with what we need to hear in the world and time we live in. And God, I ask that uh, as we think of uh, today and tomorrow, of all the things that are going around the world, the, the conflicts, or, or when we wake up and we get news alerts about what's happening halfway across the globe, may we learn again and again to rest in the fact that you're in control. Lord, I pray that this morning we can honor you, me with my lips and these people with their ears, to listen to you. And Spirit, we ask that you're working in our hearts. We thank you, Jesus, that it's your work that brings hope this world. In your name. Amen. Chapter 13 of Isaiah. I want to read the whole chapter. Uh, it's on page 490 of your Bibles. If you're looking at your pew Bibles, then I'd ask that you please join me there as we read this. Uh, chapter 13 says this, the oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amaz, saw. On a bare, on a bare hill, raise a signal, cry aloud to them, Wave, their hand, wave a hand, the hand for them to enter the gates of the nobles. I myself have commanded my consecrated ones. I have summoned my mighty men to execute my anger, my proudly exalting ones. The sound of the tumult is on the mountain as of a great multitude. The sound of an uproar of kingdoms, the nations gathered together. 
the Lord of hosts, mustering a host of battle. They come from a dis- distant land, from the ends of the heavens, the Lord and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land, the earth. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near, a destruct- as destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble. Therefore, all hands will be feeble, and every heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pains of agony will seize them, and they will anguish like a woman in labor. They will look in angst at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heaven and their constellations will not give light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant. I will lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than gold of ochre. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place. And the wrath of the Lord of hosts in that day in his fierce anger. And like a hunted gazelle or like sheep with none to gather, each will turn to his own people and each will flee to his own land. Whoever is found to be thru- will be thrust through and whoever is caught will fall by sword. Their infants will be dashed to pieces before the earth. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. Behold, I am stirring up the Medes against them who have no regard for silver and do not delight in gold. Their bows will slaughter the young men. They will have no mercy on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes will have no pity on children. And Babylon, the glory of the kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah and will be over God when God overthrew them. It will not be... It will not be inhabited or live in, lived in for all generations. No Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherd will make his flock lie down there. But wild animals will lie down there, and the houses will be full of howling creatures. The ostrich will dwell, and the wild goats will dance. Hyenas will cry in its towers, and jackals in the pleasant palaces. Its time is close at hand, and its day will not be prolonged. This passage... If you remember last week's chapter 12, which was a happy, joyous song of celebration for us to sing of God's work, and then we sing to the nations what God has done, we may say, like one commentator I read said, is we kind of almost wish Isaiah would have stopped at chapter 12 and not gone into chapter 13, because this truly is a dark passage. It's not a happy-feely one. It's not one that I imagine many messages are read or spoken of. But here it is, God's Word. As we're going through and we're trusting that God has something for us, as we journey through Isaiah, we want to read this passage and treat it as God's Word for us. There's something here for us to find. This passage is really a battle coming. It's a judgment passage. God is bringing the the armies of other nations in to conquer Babylon, to wipe them out. And what's interesting or what we need to remember as we sometimes might have the temptation to kind of push this passage off the side and pretend like it's not there is that it's God who is actually speaking this. It's God the initiator of this action and it's God who is calling for it. He's orchestrating behind these oracles. Verse 1, it says, the oracle concerning 
Babylon, which Isaiah saw, the son of Amos saw. Verse 1 speaks of these oracles. And oracles, for those that don't know, is really a message from the divine, from God, down to a prophet or a people to be spoken of what God is planning on doing. An oracle oftentimes is something concerning or against another nation. And here we have just that. God is speaking to Babylon about what he's going to do to them. But it's not just Babylon that he's going to talk to here. Actually, if you take, and that's why we have all of chapters 12 through, or 13 through 23 in this passage, God will con- consistently give a series of oracles to all different nations in this passage. He continues to give to all different nations, Babylon, Assyria, Philistia, Moab, Israel, Egypt. He gives these oracles warnings, and he cries out to them and says what's going to happen to them. And in this passage, that's where we need to draw out kind of our first point. That in this passage, what we truly see and what we want to see is that God is over all the nations. That God is over all. He is the creator. And he's not just some God that just cares about Israel. He cares about all and is concerned about all. So the structure of this passage, if you were to go and read it out this week, 11 chapters, you'll see oracle after oracle after oracle of these different nations. And God is calling them and saying, you've forgotten me, you've wandered, you've rebelled. What we should see in that is God is concerned about the actions of all the peoples, not just Israel. For Israel, they're the ones who God has chosen, but he thinks about all. And as one commentary says, Isaiah reveals here the sovereign way of God with the nations. For God is not some local God. You see, every nation had its own God then. He's not a tribal deity, but he's the judge and savior ruling over all the world. And so as God as the creator, God is the one who made it all. He's chosen Israel, but he's, he's... He knows all these people. Babylon even is a person, a group that he's concerned with and their actions. And he's over them. And in that point that God is over all the nations in Isaiah's day, uh, the question that we need to start asking in this is, do I still believe that today? If God is truly sovereign, if he's over all of creation, if he's outside what we see in our news, do I still believe that God is in control when I hear something bad in the Middle East or in Korea or wherever you might think of? Do I still believe and do I still put my hope in something that's outside of those conflicts? Or do I put my hope in the nation that I see in front of me? It's a challenge to us, especially this holiday weekend. Who do I put my trust in? Who do I trust? Who do I think is actually in control of the world events that are before us? When we start to turn our mind and think of a God, then we move on to the second point this morning. Which is that ultimately in this passage, what we see in these 11 chapters is that God is opposed. And he will judge the proud. You see, each of these oracles, they're hard truths for the nations, for Babylon, for Egypt, for all the other nations. There's hard, difficult things. It's truly judgment that's going to come down on them. 
And in some cases, he's going to bring in another nation to do it. In the case of Babylon, he mentions that the Medes are the ones that are going to come in and wipe out Babylon. going to use other nations. And we can see that in just what we can see in front of our faces, armies fighting against each other. But again, we have to ask, is God behind it? Is God working in that? Do I really believe that? And maybe then we, once we start to acknowledge that, then the next question we ask is, why? Why does he do this? At least in Isaiah's day, why is he bringing nation against nation here in this passage? Why is Almighty God working in such a way? Look at verses, chapter 13, verse 11. There it says, I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Speaking here of Babylon, he, he's, he's suggesting that, that it's because of Ab- Babylon's arrogance and their proud their pride that he's going to bring humility, he's going to bring punishment to them because the reality is that they thought super, super highly of themselves. Babylon is a flag-waving, yay to Babylon kind of country. They're all about themselves. They're sitting there saying, look at what we built. We're awesome. But in verse 19, it gets a little bit more specific. Babylon isn't just one example It's the example. Verse 19, it says this. Babylon, the glory of kingdoms. That means they are above all kingdoms. It's the one that other kingdoms look up to. The splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans, or as some of your NIV, the New International Version might say, the pride and glory of the Babylons. They are proud in their who they are, what they've done, what they've built. And all the nations are looking to them. All the nations are turning to Babylon and saying, look at how strong they are. Look at how mighty they are. And in that, we realize that Babylon is boasting in it. They are standing tall, and they're excited, and they're proud of what they have accomplished. But we see in this text that God doesn't think so. God actually hates this. This is going to punish this prideful, self-confident Arrogance that's among a country that believes in itself and not puts their hope in Him, the Creator God. Now, this is nothing new. This is nothing that just started to happen in Isaiah's day with Babylon. It actually goes all the way back to the Old Testament, to Genesis 11, where Babel, that first nation, if you remember, Babel did what? If you remember your Sunday school teachers, they, they, they tried to build a tower for themselves because they thought they could get to God and they wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to build up their own people and, and establish themselves as a great and strong people. In Babel, God did what? He tore them down. He punished them. And He sent them away. They lost their language and then from there they babbled. Ray Ortland, in his commentary on this passage in Isaiah, he says, Babylon really is biblical code language for the entire social construct of human defiance towards God, pushing and shoving its way through the length of human history. It began at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, and it will go on until the second coming of Christ. In all things, people want to go against God. They want to do it their own way. 
happened in the book of Genesis with Babel. It's shown here in Isaiah, and it even goes on where, where, where uh, John speaks in Revelation of Babylon, and he's probably talking about Rome and their arrogance and the, the structure that they've built. All throughout history, God's people try to do it their own way and make a name for themselves. And here we are, we're just in the middle of the story in Isaiah. We're in the middle of this, and we have one, another example of an arrogant nation that God is going to bring down. Genesis, Isaiah, the Revelation, and I would even say today, nations that are boastful and confident in themselves, God will bring down and show himself ultimately as the creator God, ultimately as the one who's above all. And now at this time, we can sit there and ask, okay, but I'm, Dan, I'm, I'm not going to be a world leader. I'm not going to be a, a uh, a president or, or some kind of uh, monarch of sorts. So what does this have to do with me? I would say even if it's not at a national level and where we put our hope in, I also think that the, we can have some sense of this, this arrogance, this pride in things in our own life. For some of us, we might have kids that are well-behaved and we can sit there and pride and boast as we lead them and say, look at what I've accomplished. Look at what I've done. Look at how good I've done apart from God. We could have a successful business and say, look at what I've done. And yet, I've done it apart from God, we think. I think these oracles caution us against anything that we might put our pride in, our self-confidence in, apart from Creator God. If we think that we are God over it ourselves, we are going to miss, uh, miss what's truly truth, that God is behind all of it. With His judgments, His prideful arrogance, that God is going to bring judgment. And I, I don't think it's just in Isaiah's time, but I think it will be when Jesus comes again, we will see this final judgment that seems pretty drab, it seems pretty dark, it seems pretty, like, not very happy. But is that all that there is in this passage from chapters 13 of Isaiah to chapter 23? Or is there more? Look at 14, chapter 14, verse 1 and 2. 14, verses 1 and 2. And this is our next point here, that in the midst of it, God shows compassion in this judgment. God shows compassion in this judgment. 14, verses 1 and 2, it says this, For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel and will set them in their own land and sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. And the people will take them and bring them into the place and the house of Israel will possess them in the Lord's land and male and female slaves there they will take captive those who were their captors and rule over those who oppressed them. Now this passage is a prophetic something of what will happen. Now Babylon, if you know your church or your Old Testament history, Babylon is going to be the one that pulls Israel out of Israel. They're going to pull the people out of the land. And this prophecy starts to indicate that Israel is going to go back to their land. God's going to bring them back and also bring Babylon underneath them. 
And some of that happened. Some of that occurred. If you know what Cyrus later on, a king declared, Israel, go back to your nation. Make it, go back to your home. You can go there. Uh, We know that they did return to their land. Years before Jesus came around, the, the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah, those are the stories of that time when they went back to that land. But here's the thing about what Isaiah is saying here. That while God is showing compassion by sending them to the land, this prophecy that Isaiah is mentioning isn't fulfilled yet in history in Isaiah's time. It's not filled when Cyrus declared and the people to go back. Because the reality is, is Israel, as a people group, never became a, a, a nation that was over people. It, it never, they never saw this nation where they were being uh, a nation of their own. Because throughout history, even into the time of Jesus, when, when uh, Rome was ruling, Israel was always kind of a puppet in the hands of a bigger nation. So this passage of 14, 1 and 2, it, it's incomplete when they came back to the land. So what is he talking about? What is Isaiah prophesying towards? What is he moving towards? And this, again, is where, as I've said time and time again, in Isaiah, we need to remember that sometimes Isaiah talks about things in his own time. Sometimes Isaiah talks about things in the first coming of Jesus. And sometimes he talks about the things in the second coming of Jesus. And sometimes... We can mix and match those. And I think here is a passage, again, where we find fulfillment ultimately in the first coming of Jesus, when God came. It says in this passage that God wants to show compassion, and he's going to bring people, he's going to choose Israel, and he's going to bring them to a place again, where then sojourners, that's a key word there, sojourners will join with Israel. It's almost as if people are going to become part of that nation. Or as we read in the New Living Translation, and people from many different nations will come and join them there and unite with the people of Israel. What does this sound like? To me, it sounds a whole lot like non-Jews, who we could also call Gentiles, are now becoming part, they're being grafted into Israel. It's not something that we have to wait for. It's something that has already occurred. When Jesus came, when when he came and became true Israel, he became the true Son of God, he became the Chosen One, and went and became the new Israel in his death, in his resurrection, and now is reigning over Israel. We say what? God's grafting in those who are not historically of Israel into that tree. He's grafting in a new people to them. And so in this, in the midst of this judgment that he's proclaiming, that Isaiah is speaking to these nations, we now see already a promise that God is going to do something and bring someone to bring compassion right away as Babylon's being judged. Again, the structure has oracles, and these little passages come out in the between, and we got to read those in part from there as God is saying, I'm going to show compassion. I'm going to 
bring Israel, I'm going to bring them together, and I'm going to show compassion so that others can be grafted in into this new family. Then what we see moving forward in chapter 17 in this passage of 11 chapters, verse, chapter 17, verses 7 through 9, we see this. That in the midst of that compassion, in the midst of the judgment, some will turn from idols to the true God. Let me read chapter 17, verses 7 9. There it says this. Not poetic, it says this. In that day, which is that passage that God Isaiah has used a time and time again of when God is going to do something new, in that day man will look to his maker and his eyes will look to the Holy One of Israel. He will not look to the altars, the works of his hands, and he will not look on what his own fingers have made either the ashram or the altars of incense. In that day, their strong cities will be like deserted places of the wooded heights and the hilltops, which they deserted because of the children of Israel, and there will be desolation. Here we have a passage where we start to see men turning and looking to God. We see men, nations from these judge nations like Babylon and Egypt, they're starting to look away from their own idols. They're starting to look away from their own altars, and they're starting to turn to the true God. Our first point, that God was over all them. They're starting to turn. What is the significance of the altars? The altar in that time was a place where they would go and sacrifice. They would go and lay down something, and they would try to get favor from God so that they could be better and better as a nation. And now they're turning from that and saying, no, I turn to Israel, to the true God, to the King of Israel, to Christ, I would say he's referring to. They're going to turn from their own idols, the things that they've built with their own hands, the things that they're proud of, the things that they're trusting in. They're going to turn from those and turn to the true God who is above all. What do we see in this passage? I think that there's one word, if there's any word that underlines what I see in chapter 17 is really this is a passage of repentance. This is the word that we could describe for what's happening here. In the midst of judgment, in the midst of God making a promise that he's going to have one that's going to bring compassion, here we see people starting to know who God is, what he did, and they are repenting or turning from what they've trusted in and turning to trust in God fully. This means that Isaiah is speaking of something that's going to come in the, in the future, an event, something that, that will make guys, men, women, nations turn to him. Repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry that I messed up. It's, it's not saying, oh, I screwed up again. It's actually turning and trusting in God and fixing our eyes upon him. And here in this chapter 17, these words, what's interesting is it's not done in what they say, it's done in what they do. Repentance for these men in that day will look a lot like turning, moving, changing of their actions, seeing God for who he truly is and moving away from which that which brings judgment and moving towards their creator. This morning in this passage, Isaiah, what I want us to see is this idea of 
ta- a time when people are turning from their idols and turning towards God is not something that's in the future. It has been happening for the last 2,000 years. As people, including us, are turning from our idols, the things we trust in, the things we hope in, the things we put our pride in, and we're turning from those and moving towards God's grace, towards His goodness, towards His mercy. We're responding to the act of love that He's given to us. Of course, we know that some don't, some won't, some never will. Sometimes pride, the pride that brings judgment, some will not turn from. They're too, uh, they cling to it too tightly. And we know that in the end, this passage points that there's going to be destruction for them. But like the nations that we read, these oracles, they're, they're bad for them, but they're good for those who turn. God is going to bring those who turn through to fulfillment as they turn to Him. Leads us to the last thing I want us to see. And that's what happens in chapter 19, 23 through 25. Flip a couple pages over there. And in the midst again of oracles, 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 pride, 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 God is speaking of the work that He's going to do. His plan, His purpose. Uh, 23 through 25 reads this way. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And Assyria will come into Egypt and Egypt... And Egypt... Sorry. Come into Assyria... Will come in Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. This is important here. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. idea here that is going on is as Egypt and Assyria and Israel, the passage here is pointing towards a time when these people will be joined together. When it's not just Israel that is chosen and separate, but it's going to be all these nations. And what's interesting about the two other nations that are offered here to us are that those are the enemies of God. Those are the enemies of God's people, and they're going to be united together to worship, to worship the God, the Creator of all. God will unite a new new people to Him. This is moving towards the idea that God is building, as people are repenting, He's bringing people into a new nation we could call the church. God is bringing us in to a nation, a family, a people group, so that we don't have to put our hope in the nations of the world, the flags of the world. We put our hope in the nation that we've now become of, the nation which we are now ambassadors for, the nation which we live for. God's nation, His kingdom. 
for us this morning. We uh, are, are part of that if we are in Christ, if we are put our trust in Him and we've turned from our idols. We are part of that nation. We are brought in and we are part of a people. And what's interesting as many commentators start to unwind this passage and start to bring out this passage, what this ultimately speaks of is, is the commission of us that we should want, again, like chapter 12, to sing out this song. In the midst of judgment, we found hope. In the midst of, uh, of hardship, we found a joy. We found compassion. And for us this morning, this message, we look forward to the day when that highway, we could say, as it says here, is made. Where all nations will be brought together and God will have His nation. For us, that means that until then, we should continue to trust in God. We should continue to trust, not in our own ways, not in our own self, but trust in Him as our God, as our Lord. And from there, we go on to proclaim the commissions that Jesus has given us. Go and make disciples of all nations, of all peoples. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We are called to do these things as God is making a new people, and we get to be His messengers. This judgment passage ultimately speaks of a great grace, a great God, a great mission that we are part of. We want to sing and hope in that. If you do go and read Isaiah this week, 13 through 21, You'll see the oracles, but I want to see the silver lining of hope, the gospel message in there. And in the same way, when you see on the news or on your uh, whatever feed you get, Facebook or whatever, when you see the darkness, the judgment, the bad things, that we still see the hope that God is in control and He's still working. is great. We're going to sing that in a moment. And we trust in that this morning as we go into our Monday communion. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning in this place, in this time, that we can worship you, that you are in control that you are above all the nations, that you are outside of the conflicts that we see in front of us. And you are working your plan out to perfection. Lord, we believe that that, according to your word, means judgment for those who don't turn. But a great hope and salvation for those of us that do. And we pray, Lord, that we can be proclaimers to others, that others may join in and having hope as they too are encouraged to turn from idols and turn to you because of what you did. You came to bring compassion, Jesus. You came to bring and create a new people set apart for you. Lord, in our lives today, we ask that we continue ourselves to stay on track, trusting and turning from the things we put our hope in and be reminded again this day trust in you.